Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is Acts 8, 1-4. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Amen. Thanks, Samira. To start our fall Going into one of the most unsettled and strangest falls that I know of, I thought it would be a good idea to recenter ourselves, to resettle ourselves, doing a two-part series on the nature of the church with these first few verses of Acts 8. And I want to do that because I think even though we're remote, even though, you know, we're distant, many, many of you, most of you, uh, have not actually set foot in a physical church in many, many months— we need a reminder, what, what is the church all about? Uh, we need to know where they got their power, where they get their energy to persevere, to, to get over huge, huge obstacles against great odds. And so if you're a Christian here today, I know you need this reminder in this season. I do too. If you're not a Christian or if you don't know if you're a Christian, I think this can help clarify what the church is about, what it's meant to be. So the next two weeks, we're going to roll in the vision of the church, what it is, what it's about, and who's it for. Now, to begin, before we jump in, we need to get a little bit of background about the text in Acts chapter 8. Up until this moment, the church only spread among Jews in Jerusalem. It was socially and culturally uh, homogenous, racially homogenous as well. It was this way because there was huge sociological, financial, cultural barriers for other people outside of their insider group to hear this message. If this sounds similar, it's it's a problem we have right now. How do we actually come together in unity across different uh, race and economics and cultures to actually talk? And so the church had that same problem. I actually think over the last thousand years, the Western church, Christianity only spread among traditional, conservative, uh, people with huge social pressures to actually go to church. That's how it, it spread. And what you need to know now is that just the past six months, if you're watching this right now, the social pressures to go to church are gone. You don't have, nobody's watching you if you're actually watching this uh, video potentially. And so the pressure to tune in is gone. How do we as the Redeemer Lincoln Square, how do we meet a people in a city with those who are increasingly more skeptical, those who are less and less, uh, you know, in, in what you would call uh, traditional, with those who are culturally diverse, young, urban, uh, with, uh, with all these other factors, how do we meet these people? How do we live here? With the effects of the pandemic all around us, that is what we should be asking in this season. What is it that Lincoln Square, Redeemer Lincoln Square has to figure out? And I think to be of the church, and I think Acts 8 here 
can help us do that. So let's look at the first four verses of our text. And I think what it tells us here, it tells us three things. The reality of persecution. It tells us how God works through persecution. And then where we get the power to overcome and get through persecution. So we're going to look at the reality, the, the inevitability of persecution. We're going to look at how God always works through persecution. And then lastly, we're going to see how we can get the power to get through persecution. So first, the reality of persecution. And you need to go into our text and see that immediately, it says here, Stephen was stoned in chapter 7, and in the first verse, a great persecution broke out. Saul had approved of Stephen's stoning, and what we're told now is, while he might have been on the sidelines for that one, Saul now is taking an active role in our text to destroy the church. And it doesn't look that strong. It doesn't look that, the words are not that strong here, but in Greek, the word to destroy the church here has actually brutal and sadistic connotations. The writer, the Acts writer is trying to say that Saul was going house to house, probably dragging people out by their hair, by their necks, not just men, women and children, anyone who was associated with the Christian church, he had a singularity to destroy it. Now, this is the context of our passage, but I think it goes without saying that persecution and hardship and hurt are always around the corner. Just a little later from this particular moment, Nero, emperor of of Rome in the early church of the first century, he did terrible things to Christians, uh, brutal things to them. And then by the end of the century, you had another Roman emperor. You had uh, Domitian who demanded everyone in that kingdom to bow down to Caesar as only Lord. And if you didn't, gruesome torture befell you. So we have to ask, how did the church handle that? How did they face that? Because history shows that they did, and because they did, Christianity spread, which means it wasn't despite persecution. And this is what it's a little hard for us to understand, that it was because of and through persecution that all this happened. One of the early church fathers said this. He said, the blood of the martyrs is seed, meaning that because they killed the church, the more the church actually grew. Well, um, I think it's interesting that the word scattered here um, that you see in our text is uh, a Greek word. There's a lot of different words for scattered in Greek, by the way. There's ones that talk about spreading. But he used specifically one like seed. It's associated with seed as if you scatter seed out into your field. Why? Because when you scatter seed, in time it grows. When the Roman citizens watched the Christians in the first century, They'd come out and see the public displays of these tortures. And they watched them face certain death, and not just any death, but but torture before then. Not with a grim determination, I'm going to make it through here, but there was a peace and a serenity and a joy that just attracted them. They they, They had to find out. They had to know what did these Christians believe that would lead them to respond in this way. Maybe, um... The best verse to kind of encapsulate this is 2 Timothy 3.12. Uh, what, what we read there is this. Everyone, not some. If you go to 3.12, 2 Timothy, it says everyone, all Christians, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. I don't know how you can get any more direct than that. 
Because what, this, what that saying is, not just that bad things will happen to you in general, but the real test for your heart will be particular persecution. Mirzov Wolf, a professor at Yale, um, I quote a lot in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, he actually lists out, uh, there's actually four ways persecution can actually happen. The one we mostly think of is what he calls um, exclusion, sorry, uh, execution, which, of course, execution is um, elimination, but then, uh, or annihilation. The second way to do persecution in his mind is what he calls domination, where you try to segregate and terrorize people. Uh, the third one is called assimilation, where one is told that you must abandon your Christian distinctives and values and culture and adopt the dominant culture's norms and values if you're going to be accepted. That's, that's uh, assimilation. And then lastly, the, one, the, the last one's called abandonment, where um, the culture no longer fights for or cares for the needs and the rights of a particular group. And I think it's important to state now that I think in our country today, 2020, in this country, there's not a lot of elimination and domination happening against Christians. But I think there is still right now huge persecution when it comes to um, abandonment and assimilation. And the reason why is because I think Christians are told all the time that unless you act like us, unless you look like us, unless you follow the, the culture's ethics and way of life, you will be excluded that you will be passed over, that you will not be recommended for that promotion. And so what 2 Timothy 3.12 is trying to tell us and maybe inform us and so that we're not unawares of this is that exclusion will happen, that assimilation will happen, that abandonment will happen. And, if it's, and see, I can make it even starker. Because of this text, if it's not happening to you, we need to ask ourselves why. What, what are we doing wrong? How am I not actually acting in line with what I believe that isn't causing this? John Hanford uh, was a personal fan, a friend of my family. He was, a, I think, Bush's first ambassador for religious freedom. And he mainly worked with uh, Muslim minorities in foreign countries to secure their rights. And one, I remember very distinctly one time he came back from China years ago, year, years ago and told my family this story. That he had been at a church, an underground church in China. And he was in the middle of a service and a, a man stood up. And he said, hey, I need to make a public confession to this whole congregation. Will you allow me to do that? And the congregation said, sure, you can. And so he stood up and he proceeded to apologize for lying because he had been ashamed that he was the only person in that, uh, in that church that had not been jail, uh, thrown in jail and imprisoned and beaten. And so he had lied about it and he was apologizing. He was sorry because everybody else in that church actually had been imprisoned. Uh, and I remember hearing that, I was like, that is such a different perspective on suffering than I think you and I actually have. That that's the norm over there, and it, it still is, and how does that compare to the suffering that we have here? Right? Where are we suffering for Christ? It, it, when, I, when I hear that story and I remind myself of that story, that's what I'm asking myself. Where are our, our distinctives? That if 2 Timothy 3.12 is saying, if you're a Christian, you will be persecuted, if you don't see that in your life, perhaps you don't exhibit the traits of what it means to be a Christian. That's what we have to ask ourselves right now. In this upcoming season, am I just trying to run away from suffering? And I've talked with a lot of folks that just worry that that's 
We might have the means to be able to do that. It doesn't mean should we do that. Am I hiding from persecution right now? Let me put it this way. Um, this is stark. If you were arrested tomorrow for being a Christian, just happened to say the rules changed, would there be enough evidence in your life to show that you really are? That's a scary thought. What could you procure? What could you show up and say, hey, this shows that I am? Because there should be. And as, as we're thinking about Redeemer and Lincoln Square in this space going forward, um, if we're going to be this church, nothing else will happen. The rest of what we learn in this text can't actually happen unless we're living it in, in line with the gospel in, with lives that 2 Timothy 3.12 is actually real. That actually happens. That those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so first thing we see here is persecution is real. It happens. And it's, it's around every day. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com YouTube. Now, if that's true, the second thing we have to ask ourselves is, well, how does God actually use persecution? Go back into our text. And earlier in the book of Acts, in the first chapter, Jesus actually tells everybody, that I'm going to scatter you from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the world. And he tells others to love and serve and care and go do this. And now, seven, eight chapters later, it's been years and that hadn't happened. So many Jews had become Christians, but they, had, they were conservative and they were God-fearing and they were traditionalists and they were in the church, but they had not gone outside their cultural paradigm. I don't know if it was because they weren't convicted. I don't know if they didn't care. I don't know. I, we don't know. We're not told. But they still were only in Jerusalem. So how does God finally get out his plan of redemption out into creation? How does he begin to let the whole rest of the world know? And I think what the text is telling us is it's because of persecution, because of the hurt. In verse 1, it says, all except the apostles were scattered, that they actually went out. In other words, bad things happen. God doesn't want them to happen. That's important to say. He said, we, we see it in the Bible over and over and over again. He doesn't want them to happen, but God still tends to use evil to bring about good. Time and time and time again. So here's the truth. It was, it, if God could use Nero's sadistic rule, if he could use the persecution in the early church, if that means then our pandemic our cultural moment, as hard as this might be, as much as there's a lot of hurt around there, God always uses that. So think about what you're facing right now. If whatever in the Bible we have that lets the early church face something that was able to cover their hurts, then if they were able to find the, the resources in there, then we can too. It's sufficient for us as well. This pandemic has hit everybody in a different way from mental illness to lost jobs I have no idea what your particular 
problems are, but whatever they are, however bad they are, the reality of persecutions and hurts and heartache time and time again, if we have the same truths that they did and they were able to actually handle what they had, then we, as our church, have the same resources. That's a great comfort to me. It should be a great comfort to you too. God doesn't want bad things to happen, but he will always use it for good. I mean, think think about it. Let's, Let's do a case study. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you right now? Probably death. But look at right before our passage, Stephen, because of his faithful witness, because he spoke the truth and told others he was stoned to death. And what happened? All persecution, if we want to, you know, expound on this, I think all persecution at some level, there's a death involved. Maybe not a physical death, but there's a, there's a loss. Uh, I've, I've lost friendships. I've lost, um, maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you'll lose a, a, an advancement or a promotion. Maybe it's just being misunderstood. But look at the chain of events that happened out of this. Because of his death, it says, on that great day, persecution broke out. It's because of his death, which led to more hurt. But because of that hurt, there was scattering. And because of the scattering, more people went out. And um, what we'll see next week, that by verse 8, a great joy came to the city. And really, out into the world. In other words, his death brought new life. That his death led to a resurrection. They tried to destroy the church by killing Stephen, but all it did was spread it more. And so when they killed him, they thought they were shutting it down. Instead, they were actually firing it up. That's amazing. Nothing spreads God's truth more than hardship and suffering. And not just that, but then how one handles that with joy and poise in the midst of it. That's how it works over and over and over again. Remember China back in 1949? Once the communist government took over China, every single Western missionary was thrown out. I think the record is six, there was 637 Chinese inland missionaries. They were told to leave. Everybody said, this is going to be a disaster. How are they going to learn? How are they going to hear the gospel? They, they were the professionals. They were the ones who were doing the training. You know what ended up happening? Guess what? The persecution scattered everyone. And it turns out every Christian in China went into missions. That that is the goal. That is what God wants for all of us. They turned to one another. And like verse four says, they preached the word wherever they went. That term is not about the professionals. It's not about the apostles. Those who preached um, wherever they went, that was average everyday people. And today the Chinese church, you can't even, it's in the hundreds of millions. And so what was holding back the church there was the idea that only the professionals do the gospel work. And I think that's what's holding back the church here too, in New York City. And I think we have to fix that. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually very passionate about this, that this, we have the same need here. We live in, I've, I've grown up in this culture. We have a very specific, expert, professional culture. And so the assumption is only the experts should be doing this. It's the preacher, it's the professional, it's, it's, it's Michael and, and the staff of Redeemer Lincoln Square. The one who preaches the word, but... That this text is saying no. The Greek word here is actually misleading, preached, because sometimes you go, well, I can't preach. But it, it's, it's a little more muted than that. It's, it's sharing the gospel of good news. And it's not always happening verbally as well. That means anyone can actually share. Any 
one can do this. So that's actually the point. Being scattered, and notice, not the apostles, not the leadership. Everybody else went out. We must not professionalize our faith. We must not say this is just for the experts. Um, to be an expert Christian, I, I mean, I'll say this to you. You don't have to know all the right answers. I think that's the problem. We, we associate those two things. And I've said this before. I think it's very important that God, so Jesus picked fishermen to be his first apostles. And then when he sent them out, do you think they knew every last aspect of Jesus' deity? Do you think they knew all the facets of the Trinity? Do you think they could answer every question that people actually brought up? No, but you know what they could do? They could speak and answer their personal stories. You know what they, they said? They said, he loved me. He died for me. I'm new now in him. And that's enough. And they went out and said that. That's all you need to show to get the gospel message out. And I think Acts is very clear that the church was not meant to stay as a small little group of culturally homogenous people. The church was not meant to be a small group of customers who were getting their needs met and they're buckling down and holding on. That can't be the church. We have a power so real that it explodes out. This church... We sent Chuck out in a pandemic. That's crazy. But we still had it. We still went ahead and did it. If we're going to be a church where we're still going to do this in person, with as, even with all the protocols and factors around, it's going to be hard. But that's what it means to go out, to go on mission. How? And this is, this is important to say, too. We have plans. Lincoln Square has plans. But the crazy thing from this text is this wasn't planned. You don't necessarily have to have a grand plan to go out. Christians living their lives scattered, preaching the word in the world is enough. The scattered were the laity, they were the average Joes, they were the average Christians. And they went out and preached the word. The word preached, by the way, is the, is, um, the Greek word uh, evangelino, evangelino, which means to just bring the good news. It's used five times here in our text. Bring the good news every day. That's what we're about here in New York City. So last point, where do we get the power to get through this persecution? Because we're tired. I'm tired. Um, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of hardships, a lot of, a lot, there's a lot of concerns and cares. And some of you are so tired too. You're beaten down. You felt hurt. You're like, I can't, how do I get up for this? You're sitting watching this very passively potentially. How do we get the power for this next season of our lives in this city? Some of you, the reason why many of you have never felt persecution, I wonder if it's because you've made life choices so that you never did have to feel it. That we, we act and organize our lives in such a way that we blend in, we don't stick out, we don't want people to know. Because we don't know how, to, how we might handle it if it happened to us. But Stephen was able to handle it. Right? How, how, how was he able to handle it? Let's, let's look at that. And I think the answer is, was the gospel. That, and you can read this later if you want. Go back to chapter 7 and read it. But as he's literally being stoned to death, Stephen prays to the Lord and, and um, he says, receive my spirit. And he's not, which, which I just find fascinating. If I was being stoned, I'd be thinking how awful these other people were. But that's not what he's thinking. No, he's not thinking how wrong they are. Right? How could they be doing this to me? He's talking to God. And the last action, and this is 
always makes me weep. The last action he does is he falls on his knees and he cries out to the Lord. He says, do not hold their sin against them. What? How? Can you imagine in our hyper-partisan world today, anybody publicly doing this? How could with his last dying breath have nothing but love for his enemies? It's the gospel that he knew Jesus did the very same thing for him. On that cross, Jesus took, he he looked at all, all his enemies and he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's the same thing. Which is why Stephen, with the Lord at the center of his life, that allowed him to do the very very same thing for others. That's power. Jesus brought life out of death, and so Stephen could bring life out of his death. And so if you lose your friend, or your reputation, or your job, if you aren't afraid to be faithful like Stephen, it will always lead to life somehow, in some way. And so how do you get that power? The power right before Um, sorry, the power that I see here is that right before he says all that, do not hold this sin against them. He looked up to heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And I think he had a vision. He saw a look. He sees Jesus interceding for him. Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if Jesus is doing that for me, I can do it for you. Stephen, knowing that he was actually ultimately safe, knowing that he had Jesus taking his sins, he could let other people offer their sins. The gospel embedded and rooted in your heart will transform every single one of your relationships, not just to your friends and not to your work, but to the city itself. The death of Stephen brought life for people. Most people think that death is just death. But actually here, Stephen's earthly death turned into eternal and final and permanent life for so many other people. That means your earthly deaths, your sacrifices, the small things that you're doing right now, if you're willing. And I hope you never have to literally die for your faith. But the micro deaths, the small deaths that you have, if you're living in the city, even though it's harder to live here now, being present, being active, thinking of the concerns and cares of others before your own acting with integrity and love where you might actually lose your job, any of these kinds of deaths in the direct path of faithfulness and loss will always turn into life. Always. Jonathan Edwards, in a sermon when he was a teenager, if I could summarize it, he said, if, um, he says, if the Bible's true, this is actually real, then all bad things will actually in the end turn out for good. All really good things cannot be lost, and the best is yet to come. That's a great summary of your life. All your bad things ultimately will turn out for good, is what we're told. And all real, real, real good things will always last and cannot be lost, and the best is yet to come. That means there's more love and more joy and more hope than you can ever imagine. And armed with that truth, nothing can ultimately frighten us. Nothing can ultimately get us down. There's infinite hope and love in this world. If these people could handle what they had in their way with this very same truth, then I think we're unable to face what we have. Whatever. And so I guess the question is, what's our excuse? Stephen had a vision of Jesus standing before the throne. What's your vision of Jesus? 
what seeing him, seeing his death, that comes when death does come our way, now that brings new life. If his death leads to life, then we can use our local versions now. Make that the operating principle of your life. Make that gospel good news the central aspect of your life, and you might be scattered. There might be persecution, but there's always life coming. Years ago, a medical doctor um, gave up his practice to become a minister, and everybody in town thought he was nuts. A reporter came to him once and said, you know, was it worth it? You know, you, you, know, you gained some things, you gained, like, you know, meaning and purpose, and you lost some things, like more money, and, you know, he, he was a very prominent um, doctor. And you know what the minister said? He said, he said this. He said, let me get this straight. I gave up nothing and I gained everything. I don't, what's the point? I don't, I don't, see, your, I don't see the problem here. In other words, the things that you lose, you never really lose. Not, 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 not when it comes to eternity. Do you see how if you had him, you give up nothing and you gain everything? Before we end, we need to ask ourselves, have we really given ourselves to him? Because if you do, if you really, really, really do, eventually someone, someone will laugh at you, somebody will shun you, somebody will not befriend you, and you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? And I think the answer is yes, because you've given up nothing and you've gained everything. The last thing I'll say here is this, is that this is not the fall any one of us would have, would have chosen, but here it is. And if God uses persecution to send out people um, into the world, then he can use us. And we're all, everybody's on mission. And I, I'm, I'm hesitant to tell you specifically how, because I want uh, your own inner conviction to actually um, tell you. But you should do the internal listening to find those things out. I read a, a commentary once that said, um, sending out the missions didn't, um, didn't happen because the church leaders approved it. No, real mission happens because people simultaneously on their own volition, because of the use of the Spirit in their life, goes. Ordinary believers. And so the point is, don't wait for me or this church to come up with a grand plan. We have plans, but you don't need it. This isn't top down. This is bottom up. Everybody going and making and doing. The church will be here for you to counsel, to counsel you and help you and guide you and direct you. But we're a community and we're excited for this. There's going to be more persecution than than normal going forward. Let's hope God uses it in the city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, oh, such a good reminder. I think a lot of us have all kinds of emotions that are inside of us that are in this next season. Um, Give us a, a super secure security, Father, that where you have us right now is where you want us to be. For now, help us to go down deeper in roots. I think as uh, American Christians, we're very flighty to go anywhere, to, to, to put down roots because we might leave. Push us against our flight inclinations to root ourselves in the gospel, root ourselves with each other, to serve in love and care. Um, it's going to be a crazy fall, and uh, this, this church is going to do what it can, Father, but it, we, the church isn't just the structure, it's the people inside. I pray that your spirit comes into us in such profound ways that we will get creative in loving and caring and serving. Your praise is your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. 
We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.